ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله عليه وسلم اما بعد We are still covering the seventh hadith on the authority of Abi Ruqayya Tamim al-Dari radiyallahu anhu where he mentioned that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said al-Din al-Nasihah that the religion is al-Nasihah and the Sahaba they said Liman ya Rasulullah he was the nasiha for or messenger of Allah. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he mentioned, لِلَّهِ وَلِكِتَابِهِ وَلِرَسُولِهِ وَلِأَئِمَّةِ الْمُسْلِمِينَ وَعَامَّتِهِمْ That the nasiha is for Allah. We covered that this means sincerity. Sincerity is for Allah. Likewise, the sincerity is for the Book of Allah. And the sincerity is for the Messenger of Allah. And during his lifetime, he can also be advised. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. After his death, the Nasiha relates to the sincerity towards the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Tonight we arrive to Wali Aimmat al-Muslimin and for the leaders of the Muslims. What's referred to here the Muslim ruler whether it is the Khalifa over all of the Muslims or the Muslim rulers in the respective lands of the Muslims. And this point here, Barakallahu Fikum, is one of the affairs in Al Islam which separate Ahl Sunnah from Ahl Bid'ah. As Ahl Sunnah, They hold that the advice or sincerity is due to the Muslim leaders. And they do not behave with them in a manner that opposes that which Allah has revealed. And alhamdulillah, the rules and regulations as it relates to how to deal with the Muslim ruler are just. There is no extremism and there is no negligence. As we find two categories of people 
who have opposed the Sunnah when it relates to how to deal with the Muslim rulers. Some have extremism with them in their dealings with them, and then you have others who are negligent. Ahl Sunnah, we take the middle course in all affairs. As Allah mentions, and likewise, we have made you a just and balanced nation. From the nasiha for the Muslim rulers is that we obey them in that which is in obedience to Allah. As Allah mentioned, O you who believe, obey Allah and obey the Messenger and those in authority from among. If we look at this verse, Allah says, Obey Allah and obey the Messenger. And then He said, And those in authority from amongst you. Showing that obedience to Allah is unrestricted. Allah. And obedience to the Messenger is unrestricted. But as for obedience to the Muslim rulers, it's not unrestricted. It depends upon if the commandment is in accordance with the deen and doesn't oppose the deen. If the commandment is an act if the commandment is a commandment to commit an act of disobedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then there is no obedience in this affair. As the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he mentioned, لَا طَعَةَ لِمَخْلُوقِ فِي There is no obedience to creation and the disobedience of the Creator. So if anyone commands us, no matter how great the status of the individual is, if anyone commands us to disobey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there is no obedience in that affair. Also, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he mentioned, إِنَّ الطَّعَةُ وَإِنَّمَ الطَّعَةُ الْمَعْرُوفُ That indeed, obedience is in that which is Good, meaning that which is in accordance to the deen, that which is in accordance to the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we obey the Muslim ruler, and we don't have that here in America, but if we were living in a land where there's a Muslim ruler, we will obey the Muslim ruler in that which is obedience to Allah. And if we are commanded to disobey Allah, we do not disobey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Also, we do not do anything that cause the destabilizing of the, society, the Muslim society. And this is an important point. Because the way of the Khawarij is that they have a desire for the seat of power. So anytime they see a wrong, a mistake from the Muslim ruler, they seek to justify rebelling against the Muslim ruler. So they look for something that they can declare him 
to be a disbeliever and now justify revolting against the Muslim movement. And these individuals appeared, or rather the head of them appeared in the time of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa The Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was distributing some wealth. And he gave to some people, but didn't give to others. However, this was by the commandment of Allah. And an individual by the name of Dhul Khuwaisira, he said he was a person who had a, a big beard, and you can see the outward traces of worship upon his body, like prostration marked, his hands were rough from, you know, from the prayer and stuff like that. But look what he says to the Prophet Wasallam. He says, Ya Muhammad I'dam. He says to the Prophet Muhammad Wasallam, O Muhammad, be just. The Prophet Wasallam said, Wayha, woe to you. Men ya'da innam a'jin. Who's going to be just if I'm not just? Meaning, I'm the messenger of Allah. Allah sent me to guide the people. Allah entrusted me with his message. If, I, if I'm not just, who's going to be just? Umar bin al-Khattab, he requested, O Messenger of Allah, allow me to chop the neck of this hypocrite with the Prophet forbade. And the Prophet he mentioned, سيخرج من ضعدي هذا الرجل أناس يقرؤون القرآن ولا يجاوز حناجره It's going to come from the likes of this man a people who recite the Quran but it does not go past their collarbone meaning they recite the Quran but they don't have understanding And then he mentioned, يَخْرُجُونَ مِنَ كَمَا يَخْرُجُ مِنَ الرَّمِيَةِ And they go out of the religion, just like the arrow when it shoots out of the bow, it goes through the game and then come out. And the Prophet ﷺ here, he is referring to the Khawarij, or the rebels. And these individuals appear in the time of Ali bin Afwan, in the time of Uthman ibn Affan, radiallahu And they were incited by uh, Abdullah ibn Salam. He was the Yahudi who accepted Islam, but he didn't even believe he was a Munafiq. And his intent behind accepting Islam was to destroy Islam from within. So what he did, he went from place to place, land to land, speaking about Uthman and the decision-making of Uthman, inciting the people against Uthman until eventually the people gathered up and went to Medina, rebelled against Uthman and killed him unjustly. This is the origin of it. In the scholars, they mention that the khuruj with the tongue precedes the khuruj with the sword. Meaning people rebel with their tongue first and then the physical rebellion comes after. So these individuals 
have a long history as it relates to opposing the rules and regulations of how to deal with the Muslim ruler, even when he's mistaken. Because no Muslim ruler is infallible. The Muslim ruler is a human being. He's right at times and he's wrong at times. But there is a mannerism of how to deal with the leader when he makes a mistake. And the rebellion against the leader, striving to kill the leader, this is inappropriate. This is from the way of the Khawarij. And then after the death of Uthman, they appeared again in the time of Ali ibn Abi Talib. And Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, Afwan, Abdullah ibn Abbas, he went and debated with them. As they were gathering together in a place called Harura, and they were preparing themselves to rebel against Ali ibn Abi Talib. So Abdullah ibn Abbas, he said, to Ali, allow me to go in and speak to them. Let, let me let me speak to them. Let me advise them. So Ali he said, I fear for you that they will they will harm you. So Abdullah bin Abbas said, Don't worry, I'm a person of good manners. So he put on his best garment and he went to go and visit them in the place they were in. And as he went to the place it sounded like the humming of bees. From what? Huh? It wasn't praying. It was reciting Quran. It was so many of them and they were reciting the Quran from a distance. It sounded like the humming of bees. Mm, like that. So Abdullah ibn Abbas he approached them to advise them to come back to the obedience of Ali ibn Abi Talib who was the leader at the time and that their methodology in trying to rectify affairs as they say it was the wrong methodology so when he got there a group of them said to the others, don't debate with him, he's from the Quraysh. And Allah Azawajal mentions about the Quraysh that they are quarrelsome people. So that's talking about the Kufar, just to show they read Quran and memorize Quran, but they don't have understanding. But some actually sat and listened. So Abdullah bin Abbas, he says to them, I come from the son-in-law of the Prophet Muhammad and from the companions of the Prophet the ones who the Quran was revealed to or came down and we were present when the Quran came down and none of us are with you and that's a key point there when it comes to understanding Islam and positions in Islam, it is a must that you are in accordance with the Quran and the Sunnah and the understanding of the Sahaba. When Abdullah bin Abbas mentioned to them that none of us are with you, this was an indication that they were wrong. Because remember, the Sahaba do not, it's not possible for the Sahaba to unite upon error. 
as the Prophet ﷺ mentioned, uh, That Allah will never unite this nation upon misguidance. That's first and foremost speaking about the Sahaba. You will never find a situation where all of the Sahaba are wrong and then someone or some people who come after them are correct. Even when the Sahaba differ, the truth is somewhere amongst them. It's not going to go outside of them. And this is a principle when it comes to the principles of the deen. It, it will never be a case that all of the Sahaba are wrong. And then someone or a group of people who come after them, they have the truth. Impossible. Impossible. Because the Prophet mentioned that Allah will never unite them upon misguidance. So even when the Sahaba differs, may Allah be pleased with them all, someone from amongst them or a group from amongst them has the haq. So he asked them, what, what are your issues with Ali ibn Abi? So he mentioned three things. They said that he uses men to judge in the affair. And the judgment is only for Allah. The second, that he didn't take war captives. And the third, he removed from himself the title of Amir al-Mu'mineen. If he's not the commander of the believers, then he's the commander of the disbelievers. Ibn Abbas said, this is it. He said, yes. He mentioned, as for the first issue, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing it for time. He said, Allah mentions in the Quran that when a husband and a wife dispute, get a judge from his side and a judge from her side. And also, when a person commits an offense while in the state of ihram, that the person is to go to one to make a judgment regarding what's the atonement. So he asked them, I ask you, is the private parts of a, a woman and the blood of a, of a rabbit more important than reconciliation between the Muslims? Meaning because when Ali ibn Abi Talib agreed to there being mediators between himself and Muawiyah, that was for the reconciliation of the Muslim Ummah. The Khawarij looked at it as, oh, you using men to judge in the affair, and Allah is the only judge. Again, they read Quran, but it does not go past their collarbone. So Abdullah bin Abbas said, did I get out of that one? They said, yes, you got out of that one. He said to them, as for he didn't take war captives, are you going to make permissible with your mother Aisha, that which you will make permissible with a non-Muslim woman who's taken as or from the spoils of war? And if you say yes, then this is evil. And if you say she's not your mother, this is evil. So you are between two evil affairs and you need to get out of both of them. Meaning that what took place between Ali ibn Abi Talib and the other companions, it was an issue between Muslims. It was an issue between Muslims. So 
So Ali ibn Abi Talib treated them like Muslims. So Ibn Abbas he said, did I get out of that one? He said, you got out of that one. He said, as for the issue of removing the title from himself, Amir al-Mu'mineen, then one who was better than him did it. And he cited the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. When the Prophet ﷺ agreed to the treaty, at first it was written, this is what is agreed upon by Muhammad, the Messenger of Allah. So they told him, remove that. If we knew you was the Messenger, we wouldn't fight against you. So the Prophet ﷺ told Ali to remove, erase it. So Ali said, I will never remove the title from you. The Prophet said, where is it? He pointed to it, he erased it. It had written, this is what is agreed upon by Muhammad ibn Abdullah. So he removed the title of the Messenger of Allah from himself, meaning from the agreement, but he's still the Messenger. So the argument of the Khawarij against Ali, he removed the title of Amir al-Mu'mineen from himself, and he's not the Amir al-Mu'mineen, he's the Amir al-Kafirin. Abdullah bin Abbas refuted it by citing what the Prophet did. So he said, Did I get out of that one? They said, You got out of that. So some narrations mentioned it was about 6,000 of them, and some mentioned more. And about 4,000 or about half different narrations returned back with Abdullah bin Abbas to the truth. And then the rest, Ali bin Abi Talib, he fought against them because they were harming Muslims. And Ali bin Abi Talib, look at how just he was. He told the companions, do not kill their wounded, do not chase after those who flee, and do not take their wives as war captives. Why not? Because they were Muslims. They were Muslims. Even though they rebelled against Ali ibn Abi Talib, they were still Muslims. But they were rebels. And he dealt with them accordingly. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam He taught us the uh, mannerisms as it relates to how to correct the Muslim ruler when he is in error or at fault. Here we have the narration, and this narration is authentically reported on the Prophet Man arada an yansaha lidhi sultan fala yubdihi alamiya That whoever intends or wants to advise the ruler do not give the advice or make the advice public. Do not make the advice public. Why did the Prophet ﷺ say do not make the advice public? Because making the advice public is a type of humiliation. 
And when we want to advise, the goal and the object is not to humiliate. Rather, it is to advise. But you find in this day and time, from the way of those who oppose these authentic narrations, they advise from the member, or they speak out from their lessons. This is not the way. It's not the way. If you have the ability to advise directly, then advise directly. And if you don't have the ability to advise directly, then see if you can reach one who can advise or send a letter. Yani, as Allah mentioned, Fear Allah to the best of your ability. And Allah mentions, Allah does not burden the soul beyond the capabilities. So the Prophet ﷺ, he mentioned not to give the advice publicly when dealing with the ruler. Give it privately, take him by the hand and advise him. If he accepts it, alhamdulillah, if he doesn't accept, you did your job. You did your job. And why is this important? Because the, from the principles of the deen, is that whenever you are faced with two evils, you pick the lesser of the two evils to avoid the greater evil. This is a religious principle. Whenever you are faced with two evils, you have to do one of them. You pick the lesser of the two evils to repel the greater of the two evils. One of the scholars of the past, he said, al-aql, al ya'rifu al min al ولكن العقل الذي يعرف خير الشرين. That the intelligent person is not the one who knows good from evil or right from wrong. But the intelligent one is the one who knows the good of two evils. What's the good of two evils? Huh? The good, yeah, two evil things. These are good from the two evils? Do you say no? What do you say, Jay? The lesser of the two evils is the good of the two evils. The good of two evils. What's the good of two evils? That's the intelligent person. Right from wrong? Basically, everyone knows right from wrong and good from evil. That doesn't make a person intelligent. But the intelligence is when a person knows the good from two wrongs. Meaning, he can decipher what is the lesser of the two evils and he does it to avoid the greater evil. As an example, how did the Prophet Muhammad deal with the Munafiqeen in his time? The hypocrites, because he knew some of their names by way of revelation. Did the prophet punish them? Physical, or physical punishment? No. He would speak out with the Quran, with that which was revealed to him, warning against the Munafiqin, 
But he did not punish them with any physical punishment. Why? Right, but now here's the question. The presence of the hypocrites amongst the Muslims, is this a harm, yes or no? Huh? It's a harm, for sure, because they, 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 they cause harm to the Muslims. Okay, but now if the Prophet would have punished them physically and done away with them, would that also have been a harm? Yes. What would be the harm? Huh? Islam. It will harm Islam? How? Ahsan, that's the point. The Prophet didn't want people from the outside looking in thinking that he's harming Muslims. But in reality, they were not Muslims. But for one, from the outside looking in, well, he's praying, he's fasting, that's a Muslim. Although Allah knows that the individual is not a Muslim, he's pretending to be a Muslim. And he revealed to Prophet Muhammad who some of these individuals were. But the Prophet did not punish them with any type of physical punishment, repelling the greater evil. This is understood? Their presence is an evil. But if he does something to them, now this is going to deter people from coming into the deen. That's a greater evil. So the Prophet repelled a greater evil by the lesser evil. Another point, Barakallahu Fikum. There is a narration which establishes that the early generations of Muslims, that they will make dua, that Allah guides the rulers and they will not curse them. And this is the mannerisms that we should observe. Now this doesn't mean, barakallahu feekum, that we agree with any evil or wrongdoing. Doesn't mean that. But rather we make dua for them because when the leader is upright, then this benefits the society as a whole. This benefits the society as a whole. So it's better that dua is made instead of cursing. Imam al-Barbahari, he stated, وَإِذَا رَعَيْتَ الرَّجُلْ يَدْعُوا عَلَى السُّلْطَانِ فَعَلَمْ أَنَّهُ الصَّاحِبُ هَوَىٰ وَإِذَا رَعَيْتَ الرَّجُلْ يَدْعُوا لِسُلْطَانِ بِالصَّلَاةِ فَعَلَمْ أَنَّهُ الصَّاحِبُ الصُّنَّةِ إِنْشَاءَ اللَّهِ Al-Imam al-Barbahari, he mentioned, and he's one of the scholars from the early generations, that when you see a man making dua against the, against the leader, then know that he is a person of desires. He's a stray. But when you see a man making dua for the leader that he's rectified, then know that he is a person of the sunnah, insha'Allah.
No, you make dua for the Muslim. That Allah guides them and fix their affairs and make them upright and righteous. Because when, if Allah answers that dua, it benefits everyone in the society. But making dua against the leader, cursing the leader, we're talking about a Muslim leader now. Talking about a Muslim leader. But making dua against the leader, cursing the leader, this is inciting the people. Because again, we, again, the principle is avoiding the greater evil by the lesser evil. Let's just say the leader is a, is a sinner. He drinks, he parties. But he's still a Muslim, he makes salah. His drinking and his party and his sins are restricted to who? Him. But now if you go to rebel and make a move, now this destabilizes the society. Innocent people getting killed, women getting raped, homes are destroyed. Innocent people being arrested. And other than that, now it's total chaos. Instead of leaving the individual, make dua for him and advising him privately, if possible, to rebel is going to lead to the destabilizing of the Muslim society. And now no one is safe. At least prior to that, with his sins, there was some type of safety and security in the society. People have to look at things with the eyes of the legislation and not with their emotions. So when the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he mentioned Isma' wa ati' Hear and obey in buriba dhahruk wa ukhidha maluk or in baraba dhahruk wa akhidha maluk Hear and obey even if your back is beaten and your wealth is taken or he beats your back and takes your wealth Why did the Prophet say that? To avoid the greater evil To avoid the greater evil not out of, not from a position of weakness, because the Prophet Sallallahu was not a coward; he was not a weak individual. But the Prophet was wise. The Prophet had wisdom. Okay, the Prophet Sallallahu he had concern and care for the Muslim Ummah that these individuals don't have who claim to have care for the Muslim Ummah. So the Prophet is trying to avoid the greater harm and the widespread bloodshed. So the Prophet commanded with hearing and obeying in that which is obedience to Allah. That even if you're, you are oppressed individually, be patient upon that to avoid the greater harm. That's the reason. Not because of weakness. And these narrations are present in Sahih Bukhari, Sahih, the same books of hadith that we, have, we get our prayers from. The same books of hadith that we learn how to fast from and pay zakat and make hajj, these narrations are in the same books of hadith. But you find individuals, they criticize these narrations. Why? Because it goes against their desires. So the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he directed us how to behave and interact with the Muslim leaders even when they become or if they are corrupt. Like one narration mentioned that if they delay the Salat beyond the time, you pray on time but still go and pray with them. Why? 
Huh? The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam mentioned that there will come leaders who will delay the Salat beyond the time. The Prophet said, you pray on time, but then still pray with them. Why? Huh? To avoid the greater fitna. Because now what if everybody says, we're not praying with them? Now it's going to be like you disobeying me, chaos, and then now he's sinning. Because remember, he's in control of the power. And now he starts sending the people door to door, making the people come out of their homes. And a lot of chaos comes in. You gotta look at the wisdom of the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu This is not something that we are making up ourselves. These are the authentic narrations that are in the books of Hadith. So when it, when it comes to dealing with the Muslim leaders, then one must deal with them according to legislation and not according to his desires. And do not allow these groups to use you and play on your emotions to get you all roused up to indulge in something that later on you will regret. The last part of the narration, and the advice is for the general masses of the Muslims or the sincerity and advice is for the general masses of the Muslims. As brothers, the Allah Azawajal mentioned, Indeed, the believers are nothing but brothers to one another. The Prophet mentioned, Al-Muslim Akhul Muslim. The Muslim is the brother of another Muslim. The Prophet mentioned, Al-Mu'min ila Al-Mu'min Each part, the believer, to another believer like a building, each part strengthening the other. The origin as it relates to how we're supposed to interact with one another is supposed to be an interaction of gentleness, an interaction of love and harmony. This is the origin of how we as Muslims are supposed to be with one another. We're not supposed to be differing and fighting and arguing with one another. Allah Azza wa Jal mentioned, Hold on all together to the rope of Allah and do not be divided. But here's the thing, unity in Islam is based upon the truth. Unity is not based upon tribalism. Unity is not based upon uh, nationalism, geographic location, or other than that. Unity in Islam is based upon the Quran and the Sunnah and the way of the Sahaba. This is what we're supposed to unite upon. Not because we are from the same country or we're from the same tribe and meet together, even if one is a form of evil. No, we unite upon good. We unite upon the deen. The deen is what unites us. Look at the Prophet and his Sahaba, how in Medina, the two tribes, and Aus wa Khajuraj, they had tribal warfare for years between them. But what brought the harmony between them? Islam. As Allah mentions, Remember the favor of Allah upon you when you used to be enemies to one another. And then Allah, He brought the hearts together, and by the favor of Allah, you became brothers in faith. Even some of us, 
We've experienced this. Some of us prior to our Islam, we were enemies with other individuals out in the streets. And then Allah guides both. And then they meet each other as Muslims. And whatever took place in the past is over with. And now they're inseparable. I have experienced that myself with some brothers that prior to our Islam, we were, we were not together. We were enemies to one another, we hated one another. But then after coming to the deen, it's my brother in faith. I'm his brother in faith. So the enmity and the, and the hatred that was there is gone. Because now there is the love for the sake of Allah. Right? And, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm serious. I experienced this myself that prior to Islam, I had a problem with an individual. We would clash at times. And then Allah guided both of us. And now it's my brother in faith. So whatever was there from the past, that's done. That's over with. Because what we have now is stronger. As the Prophet ﷺ said, أَوْفَقْعُرَ الْإِيمَانِ The strongest bond of faith is loving for the sake of Allah and disliking for the sake of Allah. So look what Allah did for the Aus and the Khazraj. They were at each other, fighting tribal warfare, bloodshed. Then when Islam came, all of it came to an end and they became brothers and faith. This is the power of the deen. The power of the Quran, the power of the Sunnah, the power of the truth that unites the people. As for nationalism and tribalism and other than that, these things do not keep the people together. These things do not keep the hearts of the people together. Islam keeps the hearts of the people together, regardless of one's ethnic background or one's nationality. So remember this point that the sincerity that we're supposed to have for one another is that we are united together upon the truth. And we do not allow the shaitan to come in between us and break up our unity. Why do you think we find in the Quran Allah warning against the shaitan? Because the shaitan is the one who causes corruption in the earth. Corruption in families, corruption in relationships. So the Prophet Sallallahu he mentioned, as an example, the hadith where the shaitan is sitting on his throne over the water, and he's sending out his soldiers to cause corruption, and they come back and report to him. And this one said he did this, and shaitan said you did nothing, and this one said he says you did nothing. And then one of them come and said, I kept pushing at the man until I made him divorce his wife. Iblis said, you are the one, and embrace him. Breaking up relationships. So we find in Islam prohibitions that are in place to protect the brotherhood. As an example, it's not permissible to sell over the, the selling of your brother. If your brother is in negotiation, regarding business. You can't come in and then tell the person, I'll give you a better price. No, that's haram. It's 
a hadith that says that that's haram. Or you know your brother has proposed to a woman and she has accepted the proposal. You can't go behind the brother and say, listen, I'll give you a bigger house than what he offered for your dowry. You're going to be fighting in the parking lot with the brother. Allah has made that haram to preserve the brotherhood. Backbiting is haram in Islam. Slandering is haram in Islam. Spying is haram in Islam. Making mockery is haram. For what reason? To preserve the brotherhood and the sisterhood. The Prophet وسلم, said, لا تحقرن من المعروف شيئا ولو أن تلقى أخاك بوجه طلب Do not belittle any type of good even if it is to meet your brother with a smile. This is our lessons and teachings from the Prophet to maintain the unity. But when we oppose the teachings of the Prophet وسلم, this is when we allow the shaitan to come in. The Prophet وسلم, mentioned that Allah said, Afwan. The Prophet sallallahu alaihi mentioned, the shaitan has given up hope that all of the people in the Arabian Peninsula will worship him. But he still has hope in causing division amongst you. Another narration in our end, the Prophet sallallahu said, لا who knows the narration? Nothing separates between two people who love each other for the sake of Allah. But the end of the hadith is Nothing will cause separation between two people who love each other for the sake of Allah. Nothing will separate between two people who love each other for the sake of Allah except for a sin that one of them committed. Who caused the person to sin? Shaitan. Because when sins come about, it breaks up the relationships between the people. So be mindful and have sincerity and love for one another and advise one another in the best way possible. Subhanakallahu wa hamdika shadu an la ilaha ila ant astaghfiruk wa atimu.